0: to find simple ways to boost your true wealth.
1: Hello, it's Crystal
2: Arnold, hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. Welcome to the show today. Hmm. I want to talk for a moment about wisdom and the need and thirst for wisdom in today's uh, rapidly changing society we are going through an incredible time of transformation and some may even say initiation as a human species and what is needed more than ever is embodied wisdom and this can appear in people of all ages. Uh, It's not just reserved for the elders. And I, you know, um, call this, show money wise women and feel that we need to really acknowledge uh, and inquire within and develop our own wisdom around money and what is most valuable to us, what makes our own lives uh, enjoyable and what contributes to our well-being and sense of satisfaction and joy. And so often for people, this is um, totally divorced from their financial conversations, right? It's about the numbers and the bottom line and how the investments are performing. And uh, so I invite us today to bring in more of the sacred into our money conversations and to acknowledge the intimate act of caring for one another, which is sometimes includes exchange of money, sometimes a gift and a service, as with me and my young children, and that we are pioneers here, everyone listening here today. May you be inspired to uh, become part of this emergent as I like to call it, more intimate economy, where there is transparency and emotional intelligence and uh, relationship-based exchanges. And so there is great opportunity for transformation during these times. I am so pleased to have um, another pioneer in this field. Her name is Dr. Kate Levinson, and uh, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and also holds a PhD in clinical psychology. And Kate has spent more than 20 years studying the interface of money and psychology. So she works with clients, couples, and groups in a wide range of life and financial issues, private practice in California, and also um, traveling as well. So Kate has uh, is the author of an incredible book called Emotional Currency, A Woman's Guide to Building a Healthy Relationship with Money, And this is a very insightful and empowering guide that offers a profound new approach to dealing with money. And she leads emotional currency workshops throughout the country and also a Women, Money and Spirit conference in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. She blogs on psychology today and uh, was the former co-owner of a Point Reyes bookstore for 14 years and co-founder of the nonprofit Black Mountain Circle. She's on the board of West Marin Community Services and Advisory Board of the Mesa Refuge. And yes, she's been involved with the Psychotherapy Institute, uh, the JFK University's Grad School on Clinical Psychology. Oh, and I love this. Her um, doctoral dissertation was on work attitudes of women with inherited wealth. Wow, what a fascinating uh, journey into the the human psyche there. so um, so pleased to have you with us, Kate. There are so many things we could we could talk about. Um, I'd love to begin just by hearing you know, what really excites you most about the work that you do?
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Crystal. I, I, I think just um, sharing and listening to women and, and men as well uh, talk about money in their lives it, in the way that you describe, not about the dollars and cents at all, really, about what, where their joys are, where their pains are, where their questions are. It, it takes us, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting in circle with women, I, I can't actually believe that we're talking about money because it, it's such an opening into the practicalities of life and relationship and our sense of self and spirituality and politics. It's, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful opening into depth. So I think that that's the core of what why I keep being drawn to this work, which I never thought I'd be doing anyway. Um, but I keep being drawn back to it because uh, the conversations are are um, very um, are unlike other conversations I have in my life.
0: Mm,
2: I agree. I've I've seen that too. It's just. As people open up about their money story in in a really um, you know intentional way it 's like a transformational portal opens and and it really does touch so many aspects of of their life that it 's surprising that it 's not really addressed more in in Psychology training, or um, you know, in in most people think money is boring, and so it's this. Actually, I hope today we can uh, inspire people that it's quite colorful right, and yeah. uh, meaningful terrain. Uh, so let's hear. And a little
1: I bit. think it's also yeah. Go ahead. I think it's also breaking through that taboo, you know, mm. so that that once we start talking about money and once it's safe to talk about money it's far from boring but as long as it's um repressed pushed away um we don't have feelings about it we're just supposed to be rational about it it um and there's the taboo We, we just don't we don't share much
2: Yeah, and it's so powerful to hear other people's money stories and fascinating about the different variety of ways that people, um, you know, relate to money. And so I would love to hear some of your money story and and how it influenced the work that you do today and and what your journey with your relationship with money has been.
1: Well, you touched on probably the Beginning was my doctoral dissertation, which um, I just realized that um, I inherited my mother's. The, the second mortgage on my mother's house came due after she died, and I received. I think at the time it was twenty five thousand dollars, and it, uh, there was a group called Women with Inherited Wealth, and so I went to it to to try to get a idea of how to what I could do with this money. And the the room, the the meeting, uh, struck me as very similar to the psychiatric hospital groups that I'd been running. In my work, it was it was there were so many damaged women. Not everyone, but there were enough damaged women in that group that I was. Just taken aback because I had a lot of envy at that point of women who had inherited wealth. I had a lot of issues of wanting to be taken care of um, through money. And uh, so that I was needing a dissertation topic. I wrote, about, I wrote about these women, interviewed them, and learned a lot from them, uh, and worked through some of my envy of You know, realizing that inheriting money is not all about, um, it's not all wonderful. It's complicated. But I wrote the dissertation without ever looking at my own money issues. (laughs) I was doing an academic piece of writing. And uh, later uh, something happened when we sold our house and the market was escalating and I thought I'd never be able to own a house again. I fell into, I was gripped by this um, feeling that I was going to be a homeless woman, and it was far from the reality. There was money in the bank. You know, we had a roof over our heads, but uh, I, I think it was, a, I was being called to look at my money issues, and so finally, after writing a dissertation and feeling like a homeless woman, I I went to therapy and looked at money in my own life, and found out that I had, you know, my parents had thought about money a lot. I had a sister, a half-sister who was a heroin addict, and uh, money was, you know, life or death to, to uh, pay the drug dealer or to turn the heat on in the winter. And money was a huge emotional issue in my life. What was fascinating to me was that I had no awareness of this. And I think that split between... You know that money's supposed to become compartmentalized, and we're not supposed to have feelings about it. it was just very, very entrenched in, in my life, and um, so that that was the beginning of this path. Uh, money. If you'd asked me in my training or in my first years of work, what you know, do you want to? Are you interested in money as a psychological topic? I would have run as far as I could have from it. But it's, um, it's turned out, as you know, to be, uh, as, as we just talked about, to be this amazing, um, very different than how I'd conceptualize money. Let's put it that way, that it was not boring and it was not cut and dry, that it's a, a you know, deeply charged and emotional, psychological, and and spiritual vehicle. Um, so that's it's a little bit about about how I, I got to it, and, and um, working through that with that bag lady was was very uh, healing for me, very mm. healing for me.
2: Mm. Right. I could see that being a very common fear, uh, especially for women, of, of just growing old, being alone, having no one to... Take care of you, getting homeless, just kind of those very you know um, your basic needs not being met i I could see that fear really probably drives quite a few people um, what you know you've just talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about you know their money struggles, and I would love to hear some more of you know, um, maybe three of the most common struggles that you see that women have around money?
1: Well, I, th- I think the the bag lady is fairly present in women's psyches uh, in one form or another. And that, you know, she, just as you described, that's the culture we live in, right? Where we don't feel like, Many of us feel like we don't have much of a backup, and I'm not just talking about money in the bank, of course, you know, but that the, the safety nets in our culture uh, aren't there, and we're left to, you know, fend for ourselves. You know, we we need to um, um, we we feel that we need to do it alone. So that the the, the bag lady is. A reflection and there, and we there you know every day when you leave your door, you see one or more homeless people, so and this will only increase it 's only increasing so mm-hmm. she 's a reality of the vulnerability uh, in the culture for women, especially all the more so for women she 's also representational, symbolic of the vulnerability that we all feel about being alive, and the uncertainty—you know, fortunes in, in our families—we know fortunes change all the time. So, the the idea that any of us can feel totally secure and feel, you know, that we know what the future lies ahead, uh, the, what the future is that lies ahead, is—it's um, it, it, just not real. So, I think. Working, working with that vulnerability is an important issue. To to recognize that we're not failing because we feel vulnerable or insecure at times, especially for women. So this is probably another you know another really important theme I think, which I'm sure you work a lot with women around, which is that we as women we don't feel a hundred percent confident and uh, hundred you know that we that we are. Uh, yeah, 100% confident and competent, ever. It's just not, it's not in, our, um, in our brain physiology. We're not wired that way. We have a range of different degrees of doubt, and men you know, overestimate their capacities, and women underestimate their capacities. What's important, I think, is to not just listen to that doubt and to to not have that stop us. So, building confidence, um, being educated about whatever the field is, whether it's about um, making money, investing money, budgeting, having having some knowledge about money, I think is really important. But also knowing that um, that we are that we don't need to have 100% surety before we take the risk or before we Uh, Venture in a new uh, direction in terms of work or life, Um, and then I think finding support that we as women locate ourselves. We work through things, talking with our friends about things in our lives. So an issue at work, or a relationship, or parenting. All all of those where we have casual conversations with with trusted friends and sometimes strangers and associates too that help us work through the issues in our lives. We we locate ourselves by talking. We get input from other people about how they've handled situations. They might have insights for us. Being listened to is um, tremendously supportive. So when it comes to money, very few of us talk with, our friends, even our close friends, sometimes even our, our husbands or our wives, about money. And that's a, a huge source of grief for me. Uh, we're marginalized about money already as women, and then we add that further marginalization where we, we are talking the primary way we learn about things. We aren't, we aren't talking and listening. Uh, that's um, something that I, I, you know, in the workshops I lead, we talk. And then I absolutely encourage women to find one person or create a small group of women so that they can come together to to keep looking at money in this other way, to approach it emotionally and spiritually, and to keep working it because we need to keep working it. And there's so much to learn when we feel... Uh, when we're in community, when we're in relationship with other people, talking about it. So that's a, mm. that's a long-winded answer to your question, but
2: oh,
3: that was great.
0: Those
2: yeah, those are three that I really see often too. That that vulner first the vulnerability that bag lady you spoke of, the lack of security, and that fear that comes from that the you know self doubt of of our own capacities and and also a bit of hiding and shame of our our gifts and uh those kinds of things um, and then that difficulty of of talking about money and how that is such a cultural taboo and just really um, and yet, so part of how we are wired as women to discover ourselves and and really you know feel emotionally connected and and satisfied through through having these conversations. Um, can you talk some more about people who may be struggling with um, You know, visibility or shame, um, especially as entrepreneurs, I find that's pretty common. And under earning is is people are just um, just kind of you know afraid to share their unique genius, or it doesn't feel like they could make money doing what they love. Um, What else would you like to say about visibility and shame?
1: I I often say that. Shame doesn't kill us, you know. It feels like we're going to die. It feels like we want to do anything we can to avoid it, but uh, we really have to limit ourselves to avoid it. And shame around money, there's so many different ways we feel shame around money. I mean, we can feel shame for having too much money with one person and feel shame for having too little with someone else. So, it's um, it's not to be avoided, and if we can if we can feel it, um, it always leads us to something more humanizing. So, um, one of the things with money, in a practical, um, from a practical viewpoint, is looking at the numbers. And uh, I've heard countless women talk about getting the statements from the bank or their credit card statements and putting them under the bed or stuffing in the, them in a drawer just not looking, right? We, we're afraid to look. Shame keeps us from looking. Again, we can have too much or we can have too little. And, um, but looking really helps us to ground ourselves and figure out what we need to do. And uh, denial, denial of our feelings, denial of the realities, in quote the dollars and cents on the paper, um, makes it harder for us to be responsive, harder for us to, to use the resources, the inner resources we have, to figure out what we need to do. So... Um, Shame is unavoidable, I think, when it comes to dealing with money, and uh, and and again, finding some support, that, you know, having, having a, um, you know, working with you, Crystal, or finding a a, a coach or finding a friend, uh, when we're in business, is really important to to not let the problems fester in the darkness that hiding them. Uh, the darkness of hiding them because they get much worse when we hide them, and being an entrepreneur is full of risk and uncertainty. you know I think you you have to um, it's not a safe it 's not a safe journey it 's really rewarding and uh, can be lucrative as well um, but it it takes continual working and the the um, messages that we give ourselves are really important. So if we have standards, if it looks, so part of the problem with not talking about money is that we can project all sorts of things on other people. And it can appear that, you know, we're the only person who has this struggle, or most businesses just take off, or most um, uh, practices, right, just take off. That person appears. Successful. They dress really well. They have a great website. They drive a fancy car. Whatever where they live, all the things that we, we,
3: um,
1: all the outward images of of whether the person's successful or not, how they carry themselves. But we don't know what's going. We don't know what the story is. We don't know what's going on internally with someone. So um, having having some realistic expectation of how hard it is to launch a business, I think is really important and having messages that we tell ourselves, learning to hold our hands when we get scared, you know learning to to uh, put an arm around ourselves when when we feel lost uh, having having backup resources of other people to talk to and help talk us through those those moments of darkness I think uh, it's really important and so the more stories we have uh, from other people of their struggles I think normalize the struggles instead of going oh I've been doing this six months and I have two clients and I expect it to be you know full Um, uh, rather than discouraging ourselves uh, encouraging ourselves that you know um, Mary said it took her two years before, you know, she had enough clients. Being realistic mm-hmm. and having support, really, really important, I think.
0: Mm.
2: Yes, so many important uh, points there that around, you know, what... You know really what what you speak to is is why it is so powerful to um, you know come and share authentically because underneath the shame is this intimacy and this human connection and this uh, way that people develop empathy, which is our understanding to, uh, ability to understand someone else 's perspectives and feelings where you know we've both seen this in in the groups that we've done around women that greater capacity for compassion for just seeing wow everyone has such an interesting story and and journey and and that it's not all the the great things that we post on social media and the veneer of you know how how great yeah. and things are going well so um, what Can you talk more about that kind of power of intimacy and the power of what you've seen when groups of women come together to talk about these things?
1: Yeah, I, I just am continually touched by a, you know, 10, 15 women coming together, different ages, different races, different, completely different financial situations and the, the, the level of honest, open sharing, you know, maybe not about the dollars and cents, again, maybe there's some shame of having so little or having so much, but um, just the, the vulnerability and the, like, the compassion, so that's part of the healing, I think, is that sometimes it's easier to have compassion for someone else if we're sitting in a lot of self-judgment ourselves. So we have compassion for the person sitting across from us in the group who's talking about their father's gambling and their mother working three jobs to support the family or, um, you know, uh, how she... um, Took care of her husband for years who was continually saying he was going to strike it rich, and then they divorced and she was left in debt, or just, you know, endless variations on money stories. But we can sit and have compassion for the other person, and I think that that then it's like, oh, right, I can have, I can turn that compassion towards myself as well, that I don't need to be judging myself as a You know, I lost this opportunity, or why didn't I invest then, or why didn't I get a job and you know build my IRA, or you know I'm I'm 50 and I'm an artist and I have nothing to show you know in terms of um, money for my work and I'm gonna be. you know, whatever. I have to leave the Bay Area. There are a lot of housing issues of course in the Bay Area now and other and throughout the country. So anyway, turning that using developing that that compassion, um, using it towards ourselves is, is um part as I said, part of the the healing power of the group and i've forgotten what the question was that you asked
2: Crystal. oh that was that was exactly it yeah yeah i really love that um well you know i'm i'm an economist so i see the way that the systemic you know the way that we create money is debt for example and just some of the dynamics in the system which creates you know wealth extraction and consolidation in the hands of a few, and so many people um, internalize the not enoughness and that scarcity mindset and blame themselves and judge themselves and It's just you know heartbreaking how cruel we can be to ourselves and just uh, and there is yeah incredible power in in self compassion and and towards developing um, greater emotional intelligence and ability to to really connect with people um, in such a fragmented, disconnected, um, polarized world. Um, I, you know, you so you wrote this book, Emotional Currency, and you also lead workshops and uh, by that same name. So, could you tell us more what emotional currency is, and and what kinds of uh, outcomes and shifts people experience in your workshop and with the book
1: emotional currency is looking at money the way we're talking about money looking at it as an emotional currency so that it's um, money is of course the legal tender the the Um, object that we use for exchange of goods and that we uh, accumulate wealth with and um, all the economic, financial ways of looking at money, which I think of, um, for lack of a better dichotomy or way of looking at it, is um, those are the masculine principle ways of looking at money, that it's about the bottom line. And that's one way to look at money. The problem that I see and I imagine you feel and felt in your training was that that was the only way that money was presented and that the more feminine principles of relationship and heart and um, mystery and uh, intuition and connection and value of things other than that hard currency, um, those were undervalued or, or not addressed at all. And, and as I said, the, in, psych, in my psychological training, we never talked about money. I mean, how insane is that? How insane is it that we don't have financial literacy, we have sex education and... In schools, but we don't have basic financial literacy about budgets, writing checks, using credit card interest. But kids make decisions that affect the rest of their lives at this point in time in this country about college loans, without often any any training, any education about that. So the the um, the um, that split. I think, is really uh, alive in us. And so we concretize money. And um, I think that it's really hard to look at money in a non-dualistic way, to look at money as something spiritual and emotional and and financial, uh, to look at it holistically, uh, it's hard because the culture doesn't look at it that way. We're not supposed to be reflective about money. We're not supposed to be educated about money in terms of our own personal relationship with it. So that's what emotional currency is about, is that is that integrating that other approach, that other way of holding money and working with money into our lives and healing it. Healing our, We have pains and wounds around money. Um, just as we do in anything that's emotional in our lives. And being able to become aware of those and reflect on those and then do the work to heal them does transform our relationship to money. Uh, And as I talked briefly about my story, most of us um, have many unconscious beliefs and attitudes and feelings about money that are driving us. My, mine, at, at its core, was money was life and death. Money was life or death to my sister when she would call, and I was in in uh, grammar school, and she would call asking for money from my mom to pay the drug dealer.
0: Mm.
1: It was literally life and death. And that, that unbeknownst to me, <laughs> I had taken that in, uh, mm. swallowed that hole, and... Uh, hidden it away in the far recesses somewhere in my body probably my gut i guess and um i lived for you know decades without realizing that that was operating so it was a huge aha when i when i saw when when the bag lady wed me to see that um i was scared to death about having enough money and you know, i i could I felt like I could never have enough money, and that influenced every decision I made, from what I ordered at a restaurant to, um, you know, what where I went on vacation or who I was friends with. Or I mean, just it it just mm-hmm. influenced, um, a- and you know, and then there would be this impulsive, um, unconscious. Uh, liberation from that by buying something expensive, you know, because I was so tight. I mean, it's not quite that simple. It's, you know, my mother's uh, when I inherited from my mother in terms of money and my father, but um, at its core, what really had had me in its grips, uh, why money had me in its grips was this life and death association to money. And uh, so that that's that's the work that I see is uh, I, how one of the ways I hold this work is healing that domination that so many of us have, whether it looks like we have it or not, the domination of money, the domination of the dollars and cents. And when there are so many other values to help direct us in life, when money when money, is a bully and money... <laughs> likes to be in charge and uh, not that we want to completely ignore it but we want money to learn to share with other values in our lives to, to mm. share the influence of other values as well so that, that we can, other things can count
2: mm. yes and, and I've heard from so many uh, people that they can't trust themselves that they can't trust themselves with money and they're not responsible and all these stories of just um, not feeling like they ever became mature with money, like they ever had the practical education, which I agree is, you know, um, sorely missing from our primary high school early adult education, the practical finances and then just the way in which um, that then becomes the, the narrative for people.
1: Um, yeah, it's quite amazing. Let's, yeah, and uh, because because I think we can't trust ourselves because we've got so many conflicting feelings. So if I listen to one side and, and I'm not listening to the other side at the same time, you know, I end up in uh, way over... In, Right, when in fact, I, you know, the what about the the side that's leading me to the left in the decision? So, the, the, the internal fragmentation, I think, really and compartmentalization, really contributes to that feeling that we can't, we can't trust ourselves.
0: Yes,
2: yes. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'd love to hear more about how to be in better relationship uh, with, with people, how to have better money conversations, any tips you have for people struggling personally or professionally um, talking about money and how it can um, bring us closer instead of just you know driving us apart in the way it so often does. So we'll be back in
3: just a moment. Do you get choked up and flush talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding, creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com.
2: We are back with Kate Levinson. Um, Just uh, so impressed by her psychological understanding from decades of uh, talking to people about uh, money and value and worth. And uh, we both agree that it is so difficult to have open conversations about money. They are often emotionally charged and uh, people don't, uh, you know, there's just can be really difficult to get uh, vulnerable and intimate uh, about our finances, whether it's with our parents, our children, our spouses, or, uh, you know, as, as entrepreneurs asking people for the rates that we want. Uh, there And yet it's so necessary, right? It's like every day we've got to, you know, handle money and we can't uh, ignore
3: it totally.
2: So I'm curious what um, insights and advice for people who are looking to have um, better money conversations. Mm,
1: Such a big topic. Um, I think when it's uh, When it's someone that you have a relationship with, and it's involving money between the two of you, uh, with a partner, with uh, with a child, with a parent, that going into the conversation, with the understanding the agreement, that you're not going to come up with an answer or a resolution in that meeting but that you're both wanting to do research and the research is about learning what the other person how the other person relates to the situation and conveying and and maybe uncovering more about what you feel so that it's a it's an emotional conversation. There's not a right and wrong. There's a desire to uncover what could be the best solution, but you're not you're not getting you're getting there by by um, an exploration of what money means to each person. So having active listening where where one person will speak for an allotted amount of time and the other person just listens, really listens, and doesn't worry about responding, but listens to where the other person's coming from. And recognizing that we all bring a lot of baggage, as we say, we all bring a lot of history into each exchange over, um, you know, what... Uh, where to go on vacation, or how come you, in a business, That what, what, what were you thinking when you made this expense, or for compensation, um, negotiating for salaries. That when there's an intimate uh, relationship, that you need to approach money in as much depth and intimacy. And I find when that when, when we can be successful in that, we can find out, what's getting enacted in the situation? You know, I, well, I really want you to take care of me, <laughs> you know. Even mm-hmm. if it's co- completely inappropriate in the in the relationship, it comes up, or it comes up in marriages, you know, that someone can be independent for their whole life and they get married, and then they, uh, and a client once who, um, I think it's even in the book, who ran up a credit card debt after she was married. She never had credit card debt, and she was asking her husband for loans to pay it off, and he really didn't like doing this month after month, and they came in, and they found out that she had been independent as an adult, you know, like since she was 13, let's say, and taking care of herself, and she got married, and that other side of herself, that longing to be taken care of, kicked Mm -hmm. in. It It wasn't in their agreement. They kept their money separate, but she found this, creative we found this way to have him take care of her and once she could identify that then she could ask him to take care of her in all sorts of different ways that were actually more satisfying to her and that weren't a problem for him but they were really at a at a very hard place in their in their new marriage over this so it's understanding you know what what we bring, what is the what is the the drama here that's getting enacted and what when am I, um, how am I getting caught? And when you get, when you can see where you get caught and where the other person gets caught, then it's it's um, really remarkably easy to find a solution that most often that speaks to the, the money issue. And then the other thing is really asking for what we need, being clear about what we need and asking for it and it's, you know, not not a forte of most women, but certainly in salary negotiations, we know, you know, how hard it is for women to ask for, for what what they should be getting, to ask for more than they're given, and uh, really, really important. So that that um, vignette that we just heard about the woman, you know, undercharging and lying awake in the middle of the night with. Money problems is uh, it's so common so it's, it's just to, to know that this is not personal this is this is our inheritance as women that we put ourselves last and we, we don't want to risk the relationship by asking asking for more than we're given and um, I see this in you know um, marriages when there's a a divorce and the woman hasn't really. She hasn't asked for 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 enough, really, in the marriage, and then at the divorce, she's hit even harder by the divorce because of you know all those years of not not um, you know paying more than really was her share to pay, let's say, mm. and um, and and you can't go back, you know, or or not asking for. More salary. Sometimes we don't get it, of course, but sometimes we do. And how that accumulated um, um, deficit or that the uh, accumulated wealth makes a huge difference over time. So we we're so able to accommodate. It's beautiful how much we're able to accommodate and our flexibility and sometimes our lack of ego. It's it's um. It's the gift of the feminine, but it's, of course, also the limitation of the feminine is uh, asking, asking for more. So being empowered to figure out what we need and want and asking for it, I think, makes a huge difference, even if we don't end up getting, ultimately, all that we're asking for.
2: Mm. Yes. Right. So important on to... it, In our conversation. Yeah, the honesty with ourselves and and with others. And, and I like how you mentioned preparing for the conversation. Um, you know, I often suggest two ways people prepare for that is both reflecting on their money story and history. And, and that's obviously significant for both parties to come to an understanding of, of the person's past money traumas or family beliefs. And, uh, and then the second way, just with the numbers, like, okay, what were our profit and loss and expenses last month and ways that people can have the both the rational numbers, masculine kind of oriented um, information as well as kind of the more uh, soft uh, emotional um, insights as well. Um, yeah that's powerful let's talk about the money story a little bit that's obviously so uh influential in people's behaviors is their beliefs that they picked up as often young children before seven years old and how um yeah tell me a little bit more about you know well, one one could be, so why don't affirmations alone work? You know, what is it about, there's been so much about that, that movement with the movie The Secret and just kind of this positive affirmation focus. So, uh, you know, you could tell us a little bit about why that alone doesn't work and kind of the significance of our money stories.
1: Well, I'm... Not, I've n- never really um, been attracted to affirmations. I guess um, because I come from the you know, the depth of work in psychology, um, my my focus has always been to do the house cleaning, the internal house cleaning or exploration. Um, before looking outside, and I think you know, over the years, I've really come to to appreciate that it's a, much more of a dance. It's much more of a collaboration. It's not not all inside. The need to to um, look at the external forces, <laughs> political and spiritual, and um, just. You know whatever whatever we whatever our lives are about, um, al- along with doing the internal work. Uh, again, when things are when they're hidden, they have much more power over our lives. When we've pushed down the trauma, when we've pushed down the the fears, when we've pushed down the the um, you know even. Uh, we, we carry traumas from our ancestors in our body and our DNA. So, I didn't know really know my grandparents, but my grandparents' experiences filter down through my parents. They also filtered down through my DNA, literally. So, you know, it's so complex what what is encoded and what what our experiences are. So. The, the more I think we can know those stories, the more we know what we bring when we are collaborating and co-creating our worlds, be it our businesses or our marriages or our relationships or our, you know, whatever. So I think the, the grounding in story is it's really important it's not the whole story but to to just to i think too often we can look to spirituality as a bypass to the emotional work and i think that doesn't it doesn't work so if we're just doing the affirmations which i know really work for people and um uh, you know, whatever those, the collages are with the wishes and, and really getting clear about what we want. I know, you know people who, who've really changed their lives from those processes. I think they work when we also do the internal, emotional, psychological work as well. Um, again, because we can get in our own way without even knowing it. There's so much unconscious behavior. There's so many ways we have... We have blinders on, and um, there also needs to be a balance. I think in our in our lives um, between internal and and external. That if we are just about greed, if we are just about our needs and hoarding what we have, again, it doesn't really matter how much we have. It is that dynamic or that attitude. Um, We end up being really isolated and unhappy, and if there's a flow and there's a connection with other people and there's a caring for the well-being of others, the well-being of our communities, the well-being of the planet, um, there's a completely different field that we live in. And when you talk about transforming the culture... That's a huge shift that's going on now, not for everyone, clearly, but there. I think there's much more access to recognizing, to living in a place of interconnection and caring to others that extends beyond the people we know, and that that is very heartening to me, that that is, you know, so evident in so many different aspects of um, life right now, certainly not Government, not yet in government, but that's where we, in order to survive, in order to for the planet to survive, it's so really clear that's where we need to go, and that there is this upwelling of of um, people who live and who are cultivating those practices. And money is a really wonderful teacher about that, about the interconnection that I, you know. I do not make it alone. I Look to and numbers of people who help support me, who pay for my services, who are gifting me with um, their their money, and um, and likewise, where do I spend my money, and who am I supporting, and what causes am I supporting, and how do I use money to feel more connected in the world instead of isolated? It's a huge shift. That's um, that really um, really important to i think I- individual well being that that, that to, to to make money in ways that are not ethical and or to not use money to um, for the well being of our families and friends and world uh, is um, uh, it is a destructive life. is an unhappy life. For mm-hmm. sure, it doesn't. Money, money alone is uh, is not what we're after here. We're after uh, a, a wholeness and a well being in our lives, uh, and mm-hmm. and being connected. We're social beings, and being connected to one another is is central to our well being.
3: Mm. Yes. Yes,
2: I encourage listeners to reflect on this question that Kate just brought to us. How do I use money to feel more connected? And that joy and satisfaction in your body when you are, you know, having... You feel belonging. These two inherent desires of of wanting to feel deep belonging, which creates security... And then, a desire for a meaningful contribution in the world, and how can you connect with others in, in a way that uh, really satisfies you on this this deep level and that's that's a really powerful question, not just for you individually as listeners, but also for the collective right now, and this kind of that's happening where we're seeing, uh, you know, wealth aggrandizement and this kind of status and external, you know, um, definition of, of what success is and it's through competition that you climb the ladder and, and yet the, the suffering and, and the emptiness that, that can be felt even from those people who achieve financial, greater financial um, abundance, uh, you know, there they can it can be at the expense of other aspects of their life. And let's see. Wow, would you like? And to say I thought, anything?
1: you know, I recently was um, asked to address the question, "What is enough?" And I realized I don't think we have a concept in this culture, certainly not in the dominant culture, about there being enough ever having enough. And yeah. as you were speaking I was just reminded, you know, from that place of of greed and self angizement and uh, you know uh, power there never is enough. Yeah. There never can be enough. You can because you the the satisfaction of connection and and feeling that you've contributed something and that the money that you're receiving reflects the value of your work and, and you're using it to value other things, that's a completely different field than where you're, where you're trying to fill holes with money. And money doesn't fill holes. Money doesn't fill, fill um, uh, money doesn't bring meaning.
0: Right. Right, That kind
1: of Uh, meaning you're talking
2: about. Totally. Yes. Oh, there is, uh, and and as you described, there's such an upwelling of purpose-driven entrepreneurs and people who are collaborating in innovative ways to um, create value in the world and and create um, social systems and structures that, do sustain life that are, you know, representing the life-affirming systems and just the ways that um, I do want to, I'm I'm actually quite enthusiastic and hopeful about the the possibilities because I am connected with so many visionaries and pioneers in this field. And um, I just encourage people to uh, pay attention to what, what sustains you and brings you greater vitality because our attention is one of our greatest um, currencies and uh, just really want to, uh, yes, there's incredible potential. What would you like to, um, if, if listeners are interested in, in connecting with you, would you like to tell them um, like your website and and also... Uh, anything else you'd like to share as closing remarks here?
1: My website is uh, katelevinson.net, and you can also get there through emotional currency. Uh, Googling emotional currency, and um, just as the book is available um, at any independent store if they don't bookstore if they don't have it you can uh, they can order it uh, or you, of course it's on the evil Amazon as an independent bookseller I call it the evil amazon um, and the book is is really a workbook to explore some of the things we've been talking about and um, i really i'm very uh, appreciative, Crystal, of getting to talk to you. I've enjoyed it very much. Mm.
2: What is? Uh, would you like to share in just a, a minute or two? You know the the legacy that you are wanting to to leave, and um, in as as an elder and a pioneer who's been in this field, um, just words of wisdom about you know where our human potential and, and what we can um, work towards here
1: well I, you know I think I, I hope that um, uh, I think my work probably is grounded in the heart and that I've been aware so long about what a cold hearted society we live in in terms of money and bringing our heart to me symbolizes being warm hearted being compassionate and uh, and generous and uh, nurturing using money like you, I love that you said uh, attention is a powerful currency we have using money in ways that make each of us more resilient and connected and Uh, Human, human in the best, in the highest way, more ethical. And I think our heart guides us to that. You know, there's this research about our heart is connected to our brain and that the wisdom that we talk about is heart-centered, not to the exclusion of our brain, but a different kind of thinking than just rational thinking, um, which is cut off from our heart. So I you know if there's any legacy I, I hope that the ripple effect of the work I've done with my clients and the people I've touched um, that 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 is the legacy of awakening our hearts to uh, to this amazing symbolic mysterious uh, human created object that uh, represents and touches so much that is spiritual and emotional and um, it can be so life life giving life affirming and and shifting so that the face of money really changes and that it's bringing the feminine values to money uh, in our lives would change the world that we live in mm-hmm. so um I guess that's uh, <clears> the <throat> you know and, and that we start to talk talk about money definitely so mm. we talk with one another,
2: mm. yes, well, thank you, Kate, for bringing uh your wisdom and for the way that you have brought the heart back into money for so many people and allowed and invited people to connect around finances and to get more intimate and vulnerable. And I really admire you as, as a feminine leader in the ways that you have affected such great change and really opened a, a world for what is possible with uh, more emotional intelligence and greater connection with our own sense of what is most valuable and important and how do we uh, make a meaningful contribution and really trust ourselves and and uh, just so uplifted by your work and your voice and your passion around this. So I hope all the listeners uh, can feel this love in your heart right now for, uh, for not only your money, but for this sacred economy that sustains and supports you and nourishes you and these feminine qualities that are at the heart of money and the economy as a way that we care for one another. So may we all engage with joy and generosity in this sacred
0: economy. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s dot com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.